Welcome to Beyond the Show, where we bring the educational experience of Cannabis Conference to the airwaves. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Conference and Cannabis Business Times. This is a new interview series, and we're excited to highlight the world-class operators who will be speaking at the show later this summer, August 24th to the 26th in Las Vegas. You can learn more at CannabisConference.com, and of course, you can go beyond the show by subscribing to this podcast. We're still getting our footing here, and this is episode two, so get comfortable. We're going to have some really great conversations both today and in the coming weeks. We're going to continue releasing episodes every Friday, so stay tuned to that. Today, we're talking with Jesse Horton, the founder of Loud, that's L-O-W-D, in Portland, Oregon. Jesse Horton is an engineer by education, an energy management and automation expert through training, and a horticulturalist by passion. Loud is a tier one indoor connoisseur focused cultivation facility, and it brings those backgrounds into one space. Also, Jesse co founded the Minority Cannabis Business Association, a nonprofit organization founded to create equal access and economic empowerment for cannabis businesses, their patients, and the communities most affected by the war on drugs. At Cannabis Conference this year, he'll be speaking on the panel how cultivators have succeeded carving out their small batch niche. And that's what he and I talked about in this interview, that and then some. So please enjoy my conversation with Jesse Horton. Thank you for being here today for this episode. Um, you know, I wanted to start off actually with that word loud, because I know that it has uh, a couple definitions. Um, some are obviously well known in, in the cannabis space, but uh, several of them are are pretty specific to, to you and to the vision of the company. So maybe just to set the foundation for this conversation, could you define in several ways uh, what loud means? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, uh, we it's actually an acronym for us. Um, but of course, the, um, the, the term loud, you know, as, as we've always known it and being in the cannabis community and, um, you know, especially growing up in the South, um, loud has always been, you know, just pretty much the best weed, you know, um, weed that when you take it out of your pocket, you smell it, you know, when you smoke it and, you know, you, you walk somewhere, people smell it on you. Um, and that usually has a lot to do with the terpenes and the quality and the effect and all these different things. So, um, we really wanted to, uh, to grab a piece of, of our culture and, you know, kind of put a twist on it. Um, and our acronym is focused on really heavy connoisseurs in the Pacific Northwestern market. Um, love our weed daily. And, you know, we also play with that as well. And, um, you know, live only wavy days. Uh, a lot of other different acronyms we come up with. Um, just really mainly because, um, you know, the term loud, it, it means so many different things to so many different people. But all, you know, focused on, you know, what we're about in the cannabis culture. Absolutely. And of course, uh, it's translated to a, a business platform uh, that launched uh, not too long ago, but, uh, but late last year, of course. Um, could you talk about, um, you know, with those acronyms in mind and that vision in mind, um, what were some of the guiding principles that you had in mind when you began to set down the path of turning this particular idea into a business? Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, I don't get asked that often, but it was a lot of, you know, a lot of my thought 
as we, you know, focused on building the company and the branding and what we wanted to stand for. Um, and even down to the name, right. And kind of what I mentioned, make sure that we attach ourselves and own a part of our culture um, and making sure that, you know, what we, what I've seen and, and, you know, everyone from our business kind of starting in basement grows and trying to make it um, in this quickly evolving industry is that a lot of cannabis culture gets lost. Um, a lot of it, uh, you know, understandably, right, is moving towards these new consumers. And a lot of it is, you know, trying to move away from the traditional um, uh, culture, right, that has been established in cannabis because it's seen as um, a little bit taboo. And we don't want to, we don't want to do that. We want to kind of put it on a pedestal, um, you know, coming from the basement, coming from grows um, like, like that we, we really attach to a very important segment of the market that's driving all the trends. And that's really kind of pulling, um, you know, all of the, the other, I, I think, you know, maybe commodity type of flower, right, is following in the trends of what's happening with these connoisseurs. So it's first and foremost, um, just owning that, that cannabis culture, that Pacific Northwestern um, connoisseur, uh, highly discerning kind of, uh, kind of culture as it relates to bud and, and any cannabis products. And then second um, is really focused on sustainability and environmentalism. Um, I think it's something that also really gets lost and we want to make sure it's heavily ingrained in, in everything we do. So, um, you know, even with us focusing on indoor, we do, you know, are working on some greenhouse as well. Uh, with our indoor, we have very, very um, smart systems that are heavily focused on energy reduction, uh, water reuse, water conservation, um, waste reduction, all these different things that are extremely important, um, uh, you know, are, are sometimes a little bit uh, easier to kind of cut the corners on as we kind of build these massive businesses in this industry. So we want to make sure that's a really important piece of us and how we're ingrained and how we operate and how we talk to the consumers and the products that we put out. And um, I think the last piece is just being innovative. You know, we're innovative about everything we do with my background in, in engineering. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been lucky enough to kind of have that type of German process orientation and how I approach things on a daily basis. And, and my partner is the same way. So, um, you know, we have, I think, some of the most innovative trimming systems, right? I think our trimmers are set up in stations that I don't think you'll see anywhere in the world, right, that are focused on efficiency, are ergonomically designed. Um, our, our curing space is heavily focused on process, is heavily focused on organization and function, but I think it's, it's probably the most beautiful curing space and the most well-functioning curing space um, that I've seen, you know, in, the, in, in so many cultivation spaces um, that I've been in. So I think, you know, innovation is the third piece and how we do everything here and our, our real lifeblood and how we kind of differentiate ourselves from competition. Absolutely. And uh, there are a couple of paths there that I want to head down and I'll be sure to circle back to a few of these things, but you know, you've mentioned the sort of the Pacific Northwest customer base uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, you're based in Portland, of course. Could you sort of just illustrate that a little bit and maybe describe uh, what makes a connoisseur in the in the consumer space, and maybe over the last year or so, what some of the things are that they're looking for in the flower that they're buying? Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, 
You know, when I think about the Pacific Northwestern, um, you know, connoisseur, smoker, you know, I can't say that I've, I've been here my whole life. I feel like it um, because, you know, this is my home. I've been here for about 10 years and I started off as just a consumer, right? And then started, you know, with the clone and really kind of grew into the industry. And what I've learned um, about this, this market is, you know, first and foremost, it's about quality, you know, and it's quality in every single aspect of the flower and, you know, looking at, you know, the bud structure, right, the terpene uh, profile, um, looking at the uniqueness, right, of this strain, looking at, um, you know, the, the parents, right, the lineage of the strain, and, you know, is it something that I like, uh, something that I know about? So many consumers know so much about the thousands and probably millions of strains that have come across, so, like, a lot of them have been here and have started here in many ways. So consumers are so knowledgeable that you have to check all those boxes but then, you know, it all comes down to the effect, right? You can have this beautiful looking flower that may, that may you know, impress 90% of the cannabis smoking market. But if it doesn't have those um, consumption effects, right, that match that level, right? Does it hit you hard? Does it, you know, the burnability, um, you know, is it harsh? Is it smooth? So I think that um, this, this, this market, I would say, is the most knowledgeable of any market I've been in um, as it relates to every single aspect of what it takes to, to really check the boxes on quality flour. And I would say the other piece, Eric, um, is that it's really kind of a no frills kind of market, right? And that, that kind of goes back again to, to the quality aspect, right? I mean, we don't, people don't give it, even though we focus on packaging, right? We, we, we care about that branding. Um, most of the clientele doesn't give a damn about it. You know, um, we we make sure that we try to pick pick um, you know strains with that that we want to grow and that we're hunting and finding genetics. Right? They also don't want some of the same genetics that everyone has. Um, if you go to the dispensary with you know uh, uh, you know a, a typical name, right? You know, a lot of the times you're you're automatically going to be in that commodity market, no matter how good it is, because there's so much of it. So. Um, they're really focused on making sure that, um, you know, we like the names, but they don't give a damn about the names, right? You know, all these things that we try to focus on just because, you know, we like to do the extras, most of our clientele don't care about it, right? So making sure that, you know, we're not trying to overly focus on selling a product, right? And really just focusing on letting that product sell itself as most we can. Um, it's something that our clientele really appreciates. Um, so we, you know, I think those are things that are maybe a, a little bit different in the Pacific Northwestern market um, that I think other, other markets are starting to move in that direction that because of the long, um, long, uh, you know, legalization history of cannabis um, and of the market, the medical market in Oregon and the accessibility of it, um, we just have a, a, a consumer that's just extremely knowledgeable and, you know, is not easily um, swayed, um, you know, is not easily uh, moved by, you know, what we typically see in, in traditional retail. Yeah, it makes sense. And, um, you know, I want to go back to the curing stage, which you'd mentioned, and which obviously plays a, a very big role in, in what you're describing right there. Um, I think it's a part of the the... The, the cultivation cycle that maybe is not overlooked entirely, but there are some misconceptions about it. And uh, I think it, it's starting to get 
there's a lot of chatter around drying and curing really um, particularly in some of the newer markets as they come online. So just from your perspective and at loud, could you maybe elaborate a bit more on, on why that's so important and why you were specifically calling out the engineering behind the curing at loud? Yes. Yes. Without a doubt. Um, you know, just from being a grower again in this market and just understanding where, where are those individual areas where you can truly differentiate because there's just so many um, amazing growers so many um, really uh, great genetics, um, so many small businesses that have really, um, you know, loyal markets and loyal consumers that uh, you got to do everything you can to really hit every mark. And what we often find is that, you know, just like you said, it seems like, you know, very well, um, that it can often be an area that is just overlooked, right? Or is just seen as the you know the final aspect and it's not quite as important and that's because it's the shortest right i mean you're growing this plant depending on how long you're growing it um you know three you know to 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 six months sometimes right before you actually get to that final product and that's a hell of a lot of time and it's crazy that you can do that and you can pretty much hit every mark um throughout that whole long time frame uh you know as it relates to the health of this plant and then get to that end phase. And, you know, if you do a horrible enough job, you can completely destroy some of the best flour, right? You can turn it into, you know, worse than commodity to where you can't even sell it. You got to fire sale it. And you, you, you know, you killed it for the first four to six months. So, you know, people are kind of getting past that. Some people are still hitting that level where they're really blowing it on that phase. Um, but then, you know, even some of the companies that, you know, still do well in a, from a quality standpoint, are not putting the level of detail into that process that it really deserves. So what we've done is really focused a lot of our time and a lot of our effort um, and a lot of our design and a lot of our trial and error and scientific method on that phase with our post-production manager, uh, Sarah. She's just helping us take things to another level to where we really focus heavily, of course, on the environment of that drying process, the methodologies and how we how we harvest that plant, right, and, and how we handle it going into that drying phase. And then, you know, of course, the trimming, as I mentioned, the ergonomic trimming stations that are all focused on um, really just doing, you know, hitting it out of the park with trimming as well as with efficiency and, and waste reduction. Um, and then, you know, going down into this curing phase where we only cure in glass, right? We only cure at a very, very precise temperature and humidity and have different methodologies for hitting that right at a consistent point. And then we make sure that the room has good breathability, right? Um, and we make sure that we, we cure that product for enough time and that we don't, that we don't waste, um, you know, the opportunity to burp and make sure that we're hitting those humidity numbers that we want to see. Um, a lot of it is an art, but a lot of it's also a science. And it's a, the ability to combine the two uh, to really make sure that you hit it out of the park on those aspects of, of this long, you know, cultivation phase that, you know, most of us growers are used to. So um, it's a very important piece. And we've found that the consumer really responds to it. I would say more than we thought, you know, we thought that people would just know that it was good flour and that, you know, people would know that it was, you know, premium um, because of, you know, it just, it's just good and they enjoy it. But what we've seen is that in reviews, right, random reviews on Instagram, consumers right are calling out 
those things specifically. And they're talking to dispensaries about those things specifically as a surprise to us that, man, these guys really know about curing. Man, they cure so well. They cure. They can identify in the flower that phase, right? It's people who probably have never spent, have never grown or never spent much time are able to identify what that means. So um, the fact that um, cultivation companies are not, uh, some of them, right, are not, are, are not doing as well as they could in that area, um, it just shows you how much low-hanging fruit there is in the cultivation space still um, that maybe people don't understand. Yeah, that's a really good point, I think, about that sort of a feedback loop uh, with, with customer engagement and just, just hearing what people are saying. And obviously comments like that are, are pretty much worth their weight in gold. Um, on sort of an internal level, you know, when, you're, when it comes to genetic selection and uh, moving, moving new genetics in and out of production, uh, what are some of the thing or categories, I suppose, that you and your team are looking for uh, when it comes to whether or not a particular strain makes the cut and, and stays uh, in production over time? Man, Eric, you're going to have to work hard on reducing the, um, the, uh, the length of this podcast because <laughs> I, I want to I, I have a whole podcast just on genetic selection. Um, and, you know, that For process, sure. how fun and, you know, how, um, how uh, you know, laborious and, how, you know, dedicated you have to be and how much money it really costs and, you know, all these things. It's just, it's so fun as you get deeper and deeper into it. So, you know, we're constantly, I think the, you know, one of the, the main things that help us, that helps us to differentiate without a doubt is, um, is hunting, phenotype hunting, genetic selection, finding something that we think is truly special um, and that we bring, you know, when we bring it to the market, we, you know, just have faith that because we think it's special and because we're such a, a dedicated team of connoisseurs and cultivators and creatives as well, that, um, that our, our people will like it as well. So um, what we do, man, is we just go into deep seed hunts, right? If we find the genetic or we find a cross or we, we, we you know, working with the breeder and they have something that we think is going to be, you know, going to offer something unique and next level, um, you know, instead of just buying one pack of those seeds, right, or instead of just, you know, storing what we've done in the past, and it really helped us in the OLCC, um, in the OLCC uh, uh, system, right, because you're only allowed to have new genetics, right, brought in for the first 90 days. So, you know, it really focused, it made us focus heavily on doing deeper seed hunts, because we had to buy a crap load of seeds to start off with. So that we made sure that we came into the system compliant. Um, so that's what we did, right? Instead of buying one pack of a bunch of different genetics, right? When hoping to score with that, we would kind of go a little deeper and we would go, you know, a hundred to 150 uh, different seeds of one specific, um, you know, crossing, and then just go into deep hunts with that and hope to find one that we thought was special. And the way that we would select those genetics is based off of our understanding of the market, right? Um, what are the real profiles that are driving the market? And that really mostly comes down into uh, terpene profiles, right? Um, you got, you know, the purple punches, you got the, the, the garlic profiles from the GMO, you got the, the classic OG where you gotta have something there. You've got, um, you know, the burgers, right? They kind of just started to be hot as we came into the market. Um, that are kind of coming out of Michigan. You've got, um, you know, the typical funk, right? You've got all these 
different profiles that our goal was to find the best of what we thought, right? The best representation of that profile that wasn't exactly a purple punch, right? But had that those types of characteristics that wasn't a GMO, but had some of those characteristics that was a little different and unique, but still kind of check those boxes from a menu, a curated menu standpoint. So that's kind of how we attack, you know, we attacked it. And then we, you know, as we go into it, we, we ultimately will go hard in, into selections. We'll try something over and over again. We find special things, but if it doesn't knock out something, for example, a cake mint that's really blowing the market out right now for us in that kind of cakey, doughy, seed junky type of, you know, um, wedding cake type of profile with the gas, um, that's killing it. And we find a lot that is similar to that that we think is special, but it can't quite take over that curated menu spot that's hitting that terpene profile. So what we'll do is we'll do a catch and release of that genetic, right? Because we think it's so good and we love it, um, you know, we'll bring it to the market and, you know, maybe we'll release it once or twice before we get rid of that because we don't have the space. But ultimately, man, just to final, finish it out, really what it comes down to for us is, you know, we can have all these things that are checking the boxes of how does it grow? What's the bud structure? What's the terpene profile? Um, you know, what is the category, right, of all these different things? What's the uniqueness of it? But if it doesn't come down to, you know, are we reaching for it on a regular basis? For us being connoisseurs and smokers, are we actually saying, hey, we want to smoke something right now? You know, out of all 30 strains that we might have around us, what are we saying we want to smoke? You know, and sometimes that's the same thing for a week. And when we know that that's the case, right, um, we were like, okay, that one, that one we think we can go into heavier production. Yeah, I think, yeah, sometimes just the gut check is, is one of the most important elements there. Um, you know, when you mentioned the, the OLCC um, seed issue, it reminded me of just the, the importance of just planning in general and patience. And so I wanted to maybe rewind a little bit um, just to a, uh, you know, of course, loud didn't come together with a snap of a finger. It, obviously, all of this takes time. There's a, a steep learning curve. Um, so maybe uh, prior to the launch, over the last few months or, or years, really, actually, um, could you maybe describe the importance of patience and, and making sure that you're finding the right site for a facility, the right design, um, all while the industry is moving, you know, as fast as humanly possible, it feels like. Could you talk about the importance of patience and, and uh, really planning things out for the long term? Man, you're really uh, you're really hitting the nail on the head with a lot of this stuff. And I think that, um, you know, for us, patience had to do with a couple things, right? You got to have enough patience to, in this industry, everyone is either, you know, the tortoise or the hare, right? It's what you see, right? You got people out there that are talking about things before they do it. Um, you've got people out there that are really focused on, you know, wanting to get that article or wanting to get the attention and rightfully so in some ways, right? You got to make your name in the industry. Um, but some people focus so much on that and get attracted by the shiny object, right? Like the hair, right? So easily because there's so many freaking opportunities in this industry. It's just unbelievable. And it's hard to, to focus on one, right? And to say, you know what? I'm just going to focus on the work. I'm just going to do the planning. I'm going to, you know, put in all the effort just to really have something um, that, that really makes sense and something that is differentiable, right? So, 
you know, that's what we, we did, right? Kind of partly, you know, because we're smart, right? But I would like to think it's all because I'm smart. But a lot of it has been, you know, because of necessity, right? And being patient because we didn't have the funds or we don't have the funds to expand the way that we want to, right? So, you know, we, we, we want to do certain things and maybe it's better that we weren't able to get there as fast as we would have liked because so many things move in the industry so fast. And I think as it relates to that genetic piece, that's one of them where, you know, we, we wanted to get our license, you know, back in 2017 is when we applied, right? And um, we were ready at that point. And we weren't thinking about a lot of those things as we were waiting to get through the system, waiting to build what we needed to build to pass permitting, waiting to get the OLCC checkoffs until they can finally come and approve and inspect and do all those things. So, you know, as we were waiting, right, we were really taking advantage of that planning and not being focused on the other shiny objects that were out there that we could have been jumping on, but focusing on, you know, getting this license done and doing it the right way and making sure that when we got into the market, that we weren't just another cultivation company. Um, and there's probably more here than anywhere else, any other state um, in the country, maybe other than California. So, um, you know, during that time, we were thinking about those things, right? Hey, you know, you're only allowed to have new genetics in this period, or hey, you know, um, as we're waiting and we're growing medically, luckily, right, we're able to kind of work out a lot of kinks in our system, um, in, our, in our overall, you know, water recycling, right, able to fix those things. Um, as we were able to kind of add light by light, you know, and us kind of bootstrapping everything that we did really from the basement, um, you know, we were able to identify. So a lot of it, I'll be honest with you, man, is is um, luck, right? Is the universe kind of, you know, helping us to, to give us the time we needed to really get our ducks in a row so that we can really get in here and compete and, and win. Um, but a lot of it also is definitely um, making sure that you're focusing on the planning and not being distracted and not leaving any stone unturned. Because in this, in this game of cultivation, man, and any cultivator who's seasoned uh, will tell you there's a lot of freaking mistakes that you can make, you know, and there's a lot of variables in this grow room and there's infinite variables and one thing will change the other and this will change this plant and it'll change the up. I mean, there's just so many things to think about that um, if you aren't dialed in and if you aren't collecting that data and if you aren't, you know, trying to stay one step ahead um, and you kind of get distracted, even at this point in what we're doing, uh, you're going to miss something. And when you miss something, period, it's not um, if you miss something, it's when you miss something in the cultivation space. Uh, it can be a small miss um, or a small miss can easily turn into a miss that costs you for the next six to eight months because you're trying to either diagnose an issue or you're trying to fix an issue or you're trying to recover uh, from an issue. And that takes so much time because of that long phase of growth of this cultivation um, of this plant, as I mentioned, sometimes three to, to six months. So that's a long time um, and, a, and a lot of ability to make a mistake. And it will show if you're playing in that connoisseur market, um, it's going to show no matter what. And I think it's so easy to, to grow and make mistakes and get a commodity level flower that's still pretty good and will sell. It's so easy to make a mistake um, that a lot of times people accept them. And when you accept them um, in this connoisseur type of market, <laughs> the market will, uh, you know, will, will tell you. And it, it definitely will uh, cause a stain on your reputation and it will prevent you from continuing to be able to lead that market.
Yeah, I'm curious if uh, either in the last few months with Loud or, or even earlier in your work, um, if you have, so to speak, a, a favorite mistake or if there was at a, at a certain point um, a problem that arose that turned into either something good and successful or just a, a lesson learned for you. Uh, yeah, man, without a doubt, without a doubt, I'll give you one. Um, and you know, I, this is embedded through like this PR, um, uh, CEO standpoint. So I don't have anybody to slap my wrist, uh, to not say this, but I mean, okay. I'll be completely honest, you know, in our, you know, in our, our hunt, right. Our, our constant search for different genetics, different phenotypes, right. Things that are going to drive and, and, you know, pull the market, right. And, and make new lanes for ourselves and, and give the connoisseurs what they want you got to constantly be popping. you got to constantly be searching. And, you know, in doing that, you can create a real, um, a real problem, right, in the order of a cultivation facility, right? Um, you got to know how many plants you have. you got to take clones of each genetic before you put it into the flower room or you may lose it um, if you're not trying to re-veg it, right? Or, you know, sometimes that doesn't work. So in doing that, you create so many more variables, and so many more problems and potential problems, right? And in addition to all these potential great things that you're creating as well. And what we did, um, you know, in our, our search for that, as we first got into the market, um, we were really just excited to bring forward, um, you know, a lot of genetics that we found that we've been um, hunting um, throughout those years of trying to get licensed and, you know, kind of even after we got licensed, you know, holding back a lot of that stuff so that we can have a dope menu um, we let some things slip through. We let some, some cultivars that, you know, um, you know uh, hermaphrodited, and that's something that you have to deal with, and that, you know, a lot of times you're not dealing with the most stable genetics, with these um, genetics or these breeders um, that they're, you know, crossing so many different things and putting it out there. They don't necessarily have the time, and some of us new growers don't want them, right, to take too much time because we want to pop new stuff but we do want them to, you know, take enough time to make sure that they are, um, that they are stable. And, you know, if you don't have stable genetics, um, then a lot of times you'll show, you'll have something that's showing all the female traits that's even starting to, to bud and starting to maybe have a beautiful bud. Maybe it's one of the, the best genetics that you've ever seen. Right. And you're just so excited to bring it to the market that you don't realize that under maybe a condition or two, that that genetic may end up hermaphroditing, even if it's not a really heavily stressed position, but it's just something that maybe you haven't identified why it does that, right? Um, but we had one of those. Uh, and what happened was, um, you know, for the first part, the market's extremely excited. Oh, this is great. This is great. It was one of our Sherb uh, phenos. I'm not going to say the exact genetic because I don't want to, you know, make the breeder look bad. He's a great breeder. Um, but it was a Sherb Fino, and we put it out there, and the market loved it, loved it, loved it. And then one harvest, um, it decided to hermaphrodite, and it caused half of our room to end up seeding out. And we didn't know about it until some of it had gotten to the market. And we had a big, um, you know, a big uh, client that we have, um, you know, came back to us and they said, hey, we got a bunch of clients coming back or consumers saying we have seeds in your in your flower. And me as a sensitive grower, I mean, that just, you know, my heart just dropped, you know, you know, you know, no sticks, no seeds. Right. Is what is what we always know and what we want. And we ended up having to, you know, we quickly recalled every single um, genetic 
uh, that we knew uh, could potentially have been affected. It wasn't as bad as we thought, um, but we had to really take a big hit on that. So um, that was one that actually affected that harvest and the harvest after that, because by the time we realized it, the other room was at week four, right? And had already had some similar issues, even though it wasn't quite as bad. So that was one that really affected us for, you know, a number of months, really could have affected our brand. Um, luckily, we had some other great stuff out there and haven't had any problems with that since. Um, but essentially, uh, we, you know, we got messed up. So uh, that was one of the one of the problems. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, a sensitive environment. And uh, I know every grower sort of has, you know, various experiences like that that help shape their own understanding of of the plant and, and the market and, and things like that. Um, uh, and well, you mentioned uh, the brand there. And of course, uh, a lot of what we've talked about is just how quality and, and, and the flower speaks for itself in many ways. But I didn't want to uh, just get into um, the creative side of things. Uh, I know um, uh, your creative director, Brandon Pierce, has done phenomenal work and just wanted to touch on that element of of the company and the brand and how that too is an important part of succeeding in a small batch niche. So could you sort of talk about um, the creative side of the Loud brand and and how that fits into the vision as well? Cool. Yeah, man. It's a, such a huge piece. Um, as I, I mentioned out there, you know, our team is is really uh, cultivators and creators, right? And, and, and crew, right? So that's really a, the basis of, of who we are. Um, and I'm really proud and excited about what Brandon um, brings to that, right? He's our creative director. He's my, my cousin, um, luckily, right? One of my best friends and one of the most talented Black um, ad executives in the nation, uh, really, right? Youngest, most talented, just killing it. And, um, you know, when I connected with him, uh, we sat down and just had a lot of talks, right, about, you know, what I wanted to brand, the brand, my partner and I, Dave, to, to really be about um, the fact that we really wanted to have a voice. We saw the opportunity in this market to um, create brand a brand that really meant something that spoke uh, from a really important uh, perspective, this Pacific Northwestern cultivation, um, you know, city uh, combined right at the intersection of the best of nature and this um, this kind of urban hipster vibe that went along with it and, you know, how it collided with the cannabis industry and so much is synonymous with it. So we talk so much about that. And, you know, what I'm, I'm not is a creative, right? I know cannabis. I know, you know, my perspective and, and what the company is about. But how do you actually bring that out and how do you talk about that and how do you put that out there um, to the to the clients? I, I, I didn't really understand that. And me connecting with Brandon, uh, we've been able to do that. Right. And, and how we talk about the company, um, the partnerships that we develop. We've got some really exciting partnerships uh, with pizza companies. Um, you know, we've got a dope you know, partnership coming up with cookies. Um, we've got a really dope partnership with the with a nature company here that is focused on getting black and urban culture out into nature. So doing different hikes and snowboarding, right? We're working with that organization and collaboration. So, um, you know, all those different things have been, you know, a, a lifeblood of how we've been seen in the market, right? On top of just having what we think is some of the most premium flour. Um, but, right, how do we speak for such a very important segment of the market in Pacific Northwest cannabis, um, specifically Portland, and the diverse, the diversity of it specifically. Um, we just thought 
was just so important to put as much as we had into branding and as much as we had into defining that um, because it's who we are and it's who we believe and it's what makes it fun for us. And it's what, and I think it's what also helps to differentiate us. So it's just one of those things that just came hand in hand with, you know, us wanting to have um, the, the best culture that's represented, excuse me, the best cannabis that's representative of the culture and who we are. We also wanted to have the best brand that's representative of this culture and who we are. Yeah, it's certainly a huge part of the conversation. And uh, those, those partnerships sound like really great extensions of the work that we've been talking about. And so, you know, looking ahead to Cannabis Conference, of course, you'll be speaking on uh, the panel titled, How Cultivators Have Succeeded, Carving Out Their Small Batch Niche. And of course, that's what we've been talking about here. So just as a last question, Jesse, um, what would you hope that audience members might be able to take away from that session at Cannabis Conference and bring back to their businesses after they head home? Yeah, what I hope um, that, that they take away, um, especially from me, is that, you know, I think uh, I experienced what, you know, a lot of the, the nation and the market has seen as, you know, what the, the most saturated uh, cultivated cultivation state and the most saturated uh, market from a flower standpoint uh, ever, right? And and I, I, what I want people to understand um, in this market, in this industry that is really driven by these connoisseur consumers, right? The guys who are coming in, I know we focus on the new consumers, but we can't forget about the guys who are guys and gals, of course, right? I'm from the South, so I use them synonymously. Um, um, but the people who are coming in to the dispensaries that are buying the ounce and not the pre-roll, right? That are buying um, five edibles and not, you know, one uh, 10 milligram edible, right? I mean, these are the people who will continue to drive the market. And they are, if not already highly discerning, they are becoming much more highly discerning, just like the beer market, just like the wine market. Um, just like all these other kind of like niche markets, right? There, people are becoming more and more educated the better we are at collecting data and putting it out there in front of them. So um, what I want people to understand is that even in this type of market, right, in a connoisseur market, in a saturated connoisseur market, that a focus on small batch premium flour um, that's cultivated the right way all the way through can win and will win in any market. And what we're looking at going forward towards federal legalization is that companies like myself, companies um, all across the West Coast and even throughout the country, right? Michigan has some amazing cultivators um, and there's right, cultivators right now, right? That are moving in, in in Oklahoma for their opportunities from all across the country. And even, you know, within that state, um, they are salivating at the opportunity to compete with some of these larger businesses that have had a protected market throughout the country in different states. I mean, absolutely salivating. And that's first from a quality, right? And, and a genetic standpoint, can't wait to get in and can't wait to compete and can't wait to beat them. But then also um, from a overhead standpoint, uh, and that the fact that, um, you know, a lot of these states and a lot of these cultivators uh, that have focused on small batch and have focused on right these small business and from the basement type of models, um, right? Just the quality, right? Not necessarily how they put together their facilities because they should be still very advanced. Um, but just the belief in in small batch cultivation 
are usually doing things from a lower cost standpoint than I think people would would believe, right? They're, they're building facilities at lower costs. Um, they're operating at, you know, at, at really low overheads. So um, even from that standpoint, um, they're, they're waiting to compete. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, these bigger companies and, and smarter companies and smarter cultivators out there um, need to keep their eye on that and make sure that if they're going to, um, going to be able to compete for the long term, especially in these protected markets, um, that they've got to understand some of these principles and they've got to um, make sure that they're focusing on um, the, the level of connoisseur and the level of customer that these small batch producers are, are usually targeting. Absolutely. And uh, certainly excited to pick up this conversation again in August at the show. Uh, and in the meantime, of course, Jesse, thanks so much for, for your time and for joining us here today. I think this is a, a really awesome conversation. Very good. Definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm always uh, excited to, to come uh, to, to this conference, um, Cannabis Business Times. And, you know, um, the, the crew there has, has, you know, really helped me uh, to, to get exposure, um, but also to make really great connections um, throughout the years, man. It's been, it's been a number of years that I've been coming to this conference and working with your team. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's funny how the years go by so fast in the can, especially from a cultivator standpoint. It's like, you know, everything happens for us based on harvest. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. um, you know, we, we might have, you know, luckily, if, if we're lucky, you know, more than 12 events, right? Some of these big companies are ha harvesting every week. So, you know, that's great for them. But here we're about three, every three weeks to a month. Um, so if you can imagine, and, you know, just 12 big events a year, those years start going by. Um, but, I, you know, it seems like every year I'm always connected with y'all. So thank you very much for the opportunity. I look forward to it. And that's a wrap on episode two of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jesse Horton, the founder of Loud out in Portland, Oregon. I know I did. And you can hear more from him at Cannabis Conference 2021. All the information you'll need on that show is at CannabisConference.com, including information about Jesse, as well as all of our speakers, many of whom are going to be passing through this podcast in coming weeks. So stay tuned for future episodes. And check out CannabisConference.com for your registration and your ticket out to Las Vegas this summer. 